0: This is a News Laundry podcast, and you're listening to Reporters Without Orders.
1: Order, order. Hello and welcome to Reporters Without Orders, a podcast where we discuss what made news, what didn't, and some things that absolutely should not have. Joining me today is our crack reporter Nidhi Suresh, who's been traveling around uh, Punjab lately, actually. You might have seen her reports on uh, Siddhu Musawala, the rapper and politician who was killed in the last week of May she was in his native village in Musa in Mansa district of Punjab and before that she had profiled Amaratullah Khan the Amani party's MLA from Okla, in Delhi so in the last week in the last two weeks rather Nidhi has been profiling these two very interesting men um both of them have very interesting stories so we'll talk to her and we'll ask her and try to find out what she learned about report reporting on these high profile men in indian politics and if uh, pan- if her experience of punjab was as fun as mine i sure not hi <laughs> hi how long were you in punjab
0: only 5 days only you were f- there for about 10 days no
1: i was about there for 14 days yeah ah uh,
0: yeah, yeah. it's only 5 days and five only days. mansa only mansa which yeah. is
1: in the south of punjab yes right and but you were there with ashwin yes. so both your reports are with ashwin
0: yeah Uh, so the first report we had like separate bylines he wrote for Hindi and I wrote for English and the second report we did together
1: okay so, uh, I was reading your report on uh, Siddhu Musewala. I haven't been seeing a lot of reporting from his village, <gasps> but I did see yours and I was wondering when I was in Punjab, we did plan to interview him. We thought we'd go to Mansa and speak to him. I have l- heard his music. I don't think Ashman had, but I was I liked his music. Uh, I wonder if you had any such biases before you went to Mansa. Did you, have you Had you heard anything he had I, written?
0: I had heard through my Delhi friends. I It's some thing that was played uh, in the car late mm. night after you go out somewhere. Mm. So I had friends translate it for me. It was never something that I found uh, super catchy or something I would go back and listen to. Right. So I didn't, I wasn't like a fan. Okay. But uh, I thought he was f- fascinating. Mm. Yeah.
1: Interesting. So, we have a specimen of a dispassionate objective journalist who obviously was not very uh, enamored by her subject. Do you think that's an advantage?
0: I don't know, actually, because I would ha- I would lie if I said that I didn't find him more interesting after we went to Mansa. I think mm-hmm. that uh, listening to what he'd done for the village and the person he was changed my perception a little bit or yeah. added to the perception actually not changed because yeah. I still felt that some of the things that his music talked about weren't exactly things that I enjoyed listening to but uh, but I did feel like there was a different side to him that I that I found in his village
2: mm.
0: is it an advantage hmm, I think it's tricky like mm-hmm for example, like when we did Amanatullah's piece, I found him extremely fascinating from the very beginning. So I thought and he was very accessible.
2: Mm.
0: He was a very nice person, which is what's interesting about profiling because every day that you spend with the person, you learn something new. Mm. And I don't know if it's an advantage or disadvantage, really, it just both work for me, right? Like if I really don't like the person also, it's it's very interesting to hmm. know why they do what they do
1: yeah yeah sometimes it's more interesting to find out find things about people who you might not like you know yeah um, because um, we, are, we are anyway surrounded by people we like because we choose our company we choose our friends but um, tell me I agree with you on one thing that Siddhu Musawala that comes out of YouTube comment sections where people are talking about him oh legend hmm. this that or from media reports is a very different Siddhu Musawala that comes out from your reports you speak to his friends you know uh, there's a picture in your report of this is a school picture yeah. where this boy who's standing beside Siddhu Musawala uh, a boy in Akhil yeah. who attends an RSS-run school yeah. and you spoke to him about what he remembered about uh, the rapper so let's talk about that um, what were your first impressions when you went to uh, Musa village in uh, Mansa because I remember you telling me that right from the start you felt some sort of hostility as a journalist and all yeah. media persons did feel some hostility in his village so why was that?
0: so uh firstly we reached about three to four days late after the incident had happened so a lot of times in those situations you're, a lot of information has come out already and you're really trying to fill in the gaps of things that may not have been addressed, people who may not have been spoken to. Um, and while going from here itself, like I'm sure you do it too, when we go to a different place to report, you speak to someone who has been reporting there. And I had spoken to Mohammed Ghazali from Mendy TV and something he told me from the very beginning, he said, uh, if you don't mind, I have two things I have to tell you. People are going to see you as a Delhi journalist. Uh, so don't use the word gun culture when you're here and they're very aggressive so when you're talking just be mindful of you know how you're speaking and what questions you're asking Uh, which was great advice because as soon as we got there uh, so Sidhu's uh, house is called the Haveli it's the first uh, building that you encounter when you're going towards his village it's a newly built house he just moved there about 15-20 days ago it's a landmark and it's huge um So they'd already created like a section outside for journalists and the family was grieving in private. So they had like a courtyard inside where relatives and friends were sitting where they weren't really allowing journalists to go in. Uh, I actually had a lot of respect for the family for choosing to grieve in privacy. They didn't want to. uh, It can get very... uh, voyeuristic and you know that like when situations like this happen, every channel wants to ask what what they're going through, what they're feeling, what they have to say to the country, what they want to tell the Prime Minister and it was a challenge for reporters to work in that environment but I think it was a very good choice that they made not to speak to the media and the next day we actually, the next day was a little more relaxed and we were allowed to go inside the courtyard so, but even there um, nobody wanted to talk. Everyone from friends, relatives, family, so I, I was then curious about why they didn't want to talk. And uh, we actually had, so Ashwin and I were trying to talk to people and I'm not fluent in Punjabi, neither is he. And a lot of people speak in Punjabi there. And uh, we we were trying to communicate that we we're recording the conversations so that we can go back and listen later. And it so happened the person who joined the conversation hadn't heard that we were recording. So he immediately took the phone and checked and then it became like very hostile that they were like, oh, see, they've come from Delhi, they're recording our conversation. And I can understand the angst because a couple of things I think added to that distrust. I do think the farmers' protest did play a role in... um, in making them extremely skeptical about sections of the media, especially, you know, so-called Delhi media, where we just parachute into a place and decide to ask people about their worst experiences in life. And they have no reason to answer us. And they were very clear about that. They said, you know, like, you don't understand the village, you don't understand us, so why should we even give you time? And the second reason was that uh, this was again told to us by local journalists that uh, when the security cover of over 400 people had been taken off or reduced. Uh, that list was put out by the Aam Party online and it was leaked and then it was put out. And a lot of people said that the media did not question the threat that it could cause to the people whose security has been removed. And instead, the media went and amplified it. Uh, which so uh, partly they also hold the media responsible for amplifying it. We don't know how much of truth there is to that fact, but the fact is that people have uh, believed that about the media. So in that sense, there was a lot of hostility, and people are also very aware that Delhi journalists are, you know, coming in with this. So tell us about gun culture, right? So people were very wary of like talking about what they thought of as music or what they thought of because they were scared of how it might get twisted, which is literally what one person told us. Right. Um and all of that is very understandable, I believe, because we know what (laughs) a lot of sections of media are doing today. So it was challenging. It was I think for me it was really what I could say easily that one of the most challenging places to penetrate or like feel like you know i could actually have a conversation
1: yeah you know your experience of reporting there is in in a way different from mine because when we went there i think this is a thing that happens before elections that Mm -hmm. when you go to report um before an election people are keen to talk to you yeah and especially if you're a delhi journalist because then they are smart enough to know that their voice is not just uh, going around punjab it might just go around the country you know right. and they'll be seen across the borders and but now when you went yeah. that was not the case but the circumstances were also different right i
0: think it was mostly w- they were hesitant to talk about Siddhu Musawala. Hmm. Like for the second story that we did, which was about uh, a cancer in his village, uh, it was very different. So th- with that, people were okay to talk about it. In fact, right. there was one person who was helping us who got it announced from the Gurdwara that there are two journalists looking, uh-huh. for, uh, looking to speak to cancer patients or family who've lost people to cancer. So really? please call up this local person who's taking them around. Oh, so nice. that was very... Uh, it was very endearing and very nice of, of the person who was taking us around to do that. Right. Uh, so, that was very different from reporting on about the incident.
1: Right. So, yeah. You know, I remi- I'm i reminded of um, something our friend Shishti, hmm. the journalist, she told me that when she had done a report on gun culture yeah. before the election, she had met Musaywala. Hmm. And... Uh, She had a very, uh, you know, the interaction was full of friction because um, he was a little hostile to her. Hmm. I think because uh, she came from Delhi and she spoke either in English or in Hindi. Yeah, and and I don't think he speaks. Yeah, and he asked her to speak in Punjabi. Yeah, And until she did that, uh, she felt she was intimidated. But when her story on gun culture did come out, she she told me that a lot of people whom she knew in punjab were not happy because yeah. they they don't like uh being portrayed in that light where you know it's they don't want to be stereotyped as a state where people just love guns like it's you know the mm. um, deep south in america or something so just tell us who was sidhu moosewala and where did he come from
0: so uh shubdeep is his real name and he chose uh, to call himself moosewala because he wanted to put his village's name on the map, which is how, which is why people feel a lot of pride, I think, especially when it comes to him. Uh, something interesting that someone told us there was from the time that they're very young, a lot of kids in school are constantly told and had to read in their textbook that Mansa is a backward area and Mansa is a backward region. So a lot of them used to say that Even if we go to Ludhiana or if we go uh, to Bhatinda, people look at them as people from a backward region or and they've probably not even heard of the village Musa. So people have this thing that it was Sidhu Musawala who put us on the map, who gave respect to this village, uh, who gave us a name. And that's a very deep rooted sense of pride that you can sense in people there. And apart from that, like everyone I spoke to who were his close friends uh, said that, I mean, he was passionate about guns. He enjoyed... um, Due to two reasons, he started collecting guns. He was attacked in Canada in 2017 when he went there for his music. And after that, ever since then, there was this sense of paranoia that he is being followed or he could be a target, which... But... His friend said that you know he was always fascinated by it, so that was also a reason for him to then start collecting guns. Uh, He loved cars. He liked accessorizing his cars. He spent a lot of time doing that. Uh, He also has his favorite tractor there with his name on it. He's he's an athletic person. He played a lot of sport, uh, and. He was an average student according to his principal, but he was like something his teacher said that was that he would constantly follow teachers until he made sure that his name was there on some singing program. Nice. <laughs> uh, so, so we also spoke to the driver who used to drop him home every day from school, pick up and drop him for almost eight years. And he, the driver recalled him as someone who was extremely humble and continued to recognize him and meet him even after he became a big star. And I think something that people really value about him is the fact that unlike other Punjabi musicians, a lot of them shift to Mohali or Chandigarh or Bombay, Siddhu Musala decided to continue staying in his village. Um, And his mother actually became the Sarpanch in 2018. And along with her and using, you know, the, uh, the the influence he had in the village, he was doing a lot of work in the village, according to people. So they said that he's improved a lot of roads, dispensaries in the area, which weren't functioning, were restarted with the help of his mother. Right. So a lot of apart from like his music seems to have a very different personality, right, which I think is also a very real side of him, which mm. I mean, I will never get to Uh, meet now in person. But the side that I saw of him in his village was of someone who had a lot of pride in his identity and where he came from, and was grounded to, I mean, was determined to sort of uh, put them on the map, basically.
2: Um,
0: And he loves his parents, and he's sang songs also for his parents, uh, which people in the village see as, um, you know, he's seen as an ideal boy, Mm-hmm. Um, someone who's proud of his identity family oriented stays in his village um, talked about farmers issues yeah um and he's a man you know they yeah. see him as a as a macho man right. which is what he also went right. for that's that's what he was going for
1: yeah i mean it's interesting you say that you know they he put his village his district on the map because i mean even the way he that he chose his name his name is siddu musewala you know yeah Musa is the village, yeah. and anyone who knows him uh, and understands a little bit of Hindustani knows that Musa would be like someone who belongs from that yeah. village. Um, you mentioned that one of his friends told you that the reason he kept guns and he collected guns was, of course, this paranoia of being attacked again, since mm. he was attacked in Canada, but also that he loved them. And it's this very strange, uh, you know, paradox. Um, but After his death, several people came ahead and they took responsibility for the murder. Could you figure out on the ground, speaking to people, why he was attacked? Why did they go after him? Um, Had he done something to them? Were they trying to extort and he refused? What was going on?
0: So there is a sense of understanding among um, journalists working in Punjab that this question also is largely something that journalists working from Delhi have. Mm. There is an understanding of why it happened and the fact that it's quite normal that it happened. Uh, There is gang rivalry in Punjab, which is very out in the open. And we've also seen that, and something that we were told was that it's very common for musicians and gangsters to have uh, a strange relationship. So a lot of times it starts with uh, musicians there gain fame at a very fast paced sometimes. If something clicks, you go to Canada, you make a song and something clicks, then it's, it just blows up. Um, And with that comes a lot of money, comes a lot of, uh, uh, it's it's a certain lavish lifestyle becomes part of that person's life. And with that, then gangs start seeing that, oh, this person has money and they start asking for money. So it's basically extortion. Um, And this is something local journalists told us that a lot of times when extortion starts happening after a point uh, you know you're giving money to a certain gang for a while you start seeking security cover from them so you develop a sort of strange relationship with the gang so it, uh, your common enemy becomes you know uh, a co- like so the gang's enemy becomes your enemy that sort of relationship is very common between musicians and gangsters is what we were told right? Um, which is also something that uh, while no one on ground wants to acknowledge at this point the in this particular episode, two gangs that have names that have cropped up is the bishnoi gang and the Bambiha gang. Uh, so as per rumors, Bambiha gang uh, is on side of Sidhu Moosewala, and bishnoi gang was upset with Sidhu Moosewala because his and his manager's name had cropped up in the murder of Vicky uh, Muddukhera, if I'm saying the name right, um, who is an Akali leader and uh, is known to be part of the uh, Bishnoi gang. Right. So it was a revenge killing of sorts is what everybody is saying there. Right. Uh, now, a lot of people have also said that it was Sidhu's manager who was involved and he wasn't really directly involved. But then a lot of people say that he was—he had given logistical support. We don't know what the facts of the case are because, I mean, we haven't been able to go that deep. Um, but uh, funnily, uh, Sidhu Moosewala had also released a song called Bambiha Bole, right. uh, which I mean if you look at the video of the song so we'd asked his friend about this that you know a lot of people are saying he's not part of the Bambiha gang and that he's not part of any gang even the Bambiha gang themselves have said that he's not really part of us but now that our name has cropped up we will take revenge okay so there's there's been a distancing of him from these gangs but he's made a song called Bambiha Bole and when I asked Akhil one of his closest friends that it's a little difficult to believe that you know he wasn't involved in any gang uh, or wasn't associated with any gang because it seems like in this song he's pledging allegiance to a certain gang
2: right?
0: and then his friend said that you know a uh, bambiha is a bird and this song is about that bird and the birds uh it's called bambiha bole and apparently the bird has a very far-reaching voice and that's right. what this is about ke bare mein hai. okay but if you look at the video of the song it's 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 not about a bird. Like the uh-huh. song is all about guns, killing, uh, revenge, killing, Lange. and he's done this with uh, another singer called Amritman, and the whole song is them killing people. I see. Uh, so it's a little, it's a little difficult to believe that there was absolutely no involvement of gangs, and. So that's that's what is all the talk on the ground so far. I mean, we know in terms of investigation, they've, you know, arrested eight people who they are suspecting gave uh, logistical support. They're saying they identified four shooters, but no arrest has been made yet. Um, so that's as far as we know about what's going on in terms of the incident. Right. But nobody is willing to talk now. Like mm-hmm. we were very interested to do a story on understanding the relationship between music and gangs and we wanted to speak to producers, lyricists. A lot of them said that actually more than singers, a lot of times lyricists are also mm. uh, involved because gangs want lyricists to write about, you know, mm-hmm. uh, a certain topic or a certain issue that they Right. should be spoken about right. or producers uh, who are also making a lot of money in oh. Punjab and but absolutely no one wanted to speak and a lot of the local journalists observed how even though Sidhu Moosewala was such a big star and so many musicians in Punjab knew him uh, compared to how many people he knew in, term, in the music world the turnout at his house to pay respects was much lesser. Right. Because musicians also are very scared now of being seen as Mm. part of a certain gang or being targeted. Mm. Um, So that's that's what we know about the crime itself.
1: You know, uh, what you describe reminds me of the D company back in the late 80s early 90s when uh, Dowd's gang mm-hmm. was at its pinnacle you had a lot of musicians um, um, you know playing at his parties I remember the videos of Johnny Lever performing and yeah. uh, some other very famous music composers playing drums and the other Brahms party and so that sort of relationship is i mean it's not unknown yeah um in that sense by the way i was thinking since you mentioned one of his songs of the hostility to media angle and i'm reminded of one of his songs it's called east side flow it's like one of my favorite songs by Mm -hmm. sidhu musa and it's that that song is him really lacerating at the media. You know, if you see the video, yeah, he's saying that I became more be- I, what I became because of myself hmm. and you guys talk shit. And at the same time, they've played these headlines hmm. on him that, you know, are critical of him. And he's saying, you know, middle finger, Yeah, yeah. I became I, what I Have became. you heard his
0: song called Sanju?
1: No, I haven't.
0: Oh, Sanju is like such a fascinating story. It's again with the media. Right. Where... Uh, so I think it was during COVID <laughs> lockdown initially, when he decided he's bored and wants to go to a firing range and learn to shoot AK-47. Uh-huh. So, he goes with his police uh, personnel who is with him for security and the video basically has him learning to shoot the AK-47 with like some five, six policemen around him. Right. Uh, and the video goes viral and he was booked for, you know, violating COVID norms to start with and then under Arms Act. Okay. So he was taken to court This that The next thing He comes out of this song Called Sanju The song basically starts With him describing How he went to jail And he was booked Under Arms Act And the media did this and that And then uh, He compares himself To the entire song To Sanjay Dutt <laughs> And about how macho he is And then he goes And gets booked For another un- Under the Arms Act again For uh-huh. this case uh, For this song
2: Beautiful. For
0: glorifying uh, Violence And And gun culture So I mean, he had a very uh, antagonistic relationship with the media. Uh, I think it was, I was told that it was only during election that he actually really interacted with the media. Otherwise, he would talk, but he wasn't much of a I mean, also the fact is that, like, he didn't, he, I don't know if he knew uh, fluent Hindi or what, but he seemed to make a conscious choice to only speak in Punjabi. Right. Uh, So, he was very, and after these cases also, I think he wasn't very happy with some of the things the media was asking him. It was all around this. Right. Do you think you're glorifying, you know, the gun and what it means to young people?
1: Right. Let's move on lastly to your second story, which dealt with, you know, how he was helping um, people who were suffering from cancer. Mm. Uh, that Malwa region in Punjab is has one of the highest cancer rates in the world. And when we went to Punjab, I remember we found out that there's a train that takes people from yeah. Malwa to this, this, this city in Rajasthan where there are a lot of cancer hospitals. Yeah. And they call that train the cancer train. Yeah. So, what was uh, sidhu Musawala doing uh, about these problems because i would imagine that you know before you told me all this i would i wouldn't have thought he had such a this social responsibility that yeah. he felt towards where he belonged tell us about what he did for people who suffer from cancer
0: So almost every house in the village has a photo frame of Sidhu Musewala and a lot of people's phone back covers are uh, of Sidhu Musewala and a large part of that is also because of the things he's done for the village apart from his music and uh, one of the main things in that is cancer. So a lot of people in the village told us that every other house in the village has ha- has either lost someone to cancer or is being treated. The cases have come down in the last few years like I think in the last 2-3 years the cases have come down. There's also not real there's not much data like the last time I think a survey door to door was done was in 2013 and it's almost 10 years so it's really difficult to see what the change has been but uh, recently the uh, there was a hospital constructed in Batinda to address uh, the issue of cancer patients and the doctor there said that there's only been an increase in cancer patients but this particular village there hasn't been any data collection so we don't really know how many people are suffering or whether it's less or more now. Mm -hmm. Um, But Sidhu apparently was the only person who had addressed uh, cancer as an issue, and he used to organize cancer camps. I think it was in memory of his grandmother who passed away, right. not from cancer, but uh, it's something I think that he uh, decided to do on her on the day that she passed away, like on her death anniversary every year. He would hold a cancer camp where people could come and get tested, get medicines, uh, and then from there be referred if they need to go to a hospital or not. Right. Um, and there's a lot of fear. So people would come from a lot of neighboring villages also. Uh, and it was so, it was so normal that like we were sitting and talking to someone who would lost his wife to cancer. And after the entire conversation, there was this woman who was there from another village who said, will you talk to me also? My brother died from cancer two days ago. Okay. And it was a bit of like, you know, you realize how prevalent it is. Yeah. Um, and I mean, apart from the fact that there's disease, there's also the ripple effect of what happens when... A family, say from a lower income background, gets affected by such a disease. So we'd also focused on speaking to people from lower caste, Mazabi right. and Ramdasia caste, who uh, don't have enough income to afford the treatment. Right. So then, when the disease happens, they're you know drowning in debt. Mm-hmm. Uh, so even a lot of times, like in ca- there were cases where people have passed away, the patient has passed away four to five years ago, the family is still continuing to live in abject poverty because they're not able to pay the debt right so in many ways uh, it sounded like you know siddhu mussewala was their only hope because mm-hmm. uh, they didn't feel it from politicians at all
1: right you know i've been in a similar setting where i was reporting on the Ravalis, and mm. there's a, a landfill site in one outside gurgaon and faridabad and the management of it has been very poor. So, what happens is the chemicals, they seep into the ground and they infect the water tables. And it, there are three, four villages around that landfill site. Mm. They have The cancer rates in those villages shoot up in the last 10, 12 years since that mm. thing has started. Uh, so, I mean, what happens in uh, these three, four villages, the way you describe it seems like is a way bigger phenomena yeah. in Punjab. But... Tell me uh, your arc as someone who did not find Sidhu Allah that interesting to going to his village, sort, sort of being almost intimate to his life. When you were leaving Punjab, is there a very brief way you can uh, summarize what you think about uh, him?
0: So I uh, left Mansa reinforced with the idea that I enjoy reporting on people that I have not known and people who I don't possibly agree with right. uh in many ways. And it never ceases to amaze me that like some like a lot of times you can pass by thinking that, you know, this is all that someone represents and this is all they are. And you can really channel your energy towards that person about a few things you know about them. Right. But there's always like somebody more complex, more nuanced when mm. you enter their life and know them from a very intimate perspective. And especially if it's a case like this where someone's passed away. And I've also felt this a lot of times, say, even when you visit victims who have uh, families who've lost loved ones and you're going there to talk about and report on their story. And people are often like, you know, they really want to tell you about them. So they show you their room and they show you their photos of childhood. You just you can't anymore hold it against that person um, and you start also seeing why they do what they do, right. right? So it's it's it's. I think it just never ceases to amaze me how little we possibly know about people yeah. that you know we disagree with, yeah. and why it's important to keep making an effort to get to know someone. Yeah. Um, and especially I think now, like with social media and everything, it's so easy to respond to someone. And yeah. reduce them to a comment, to uh, a, a song. Right. Um, that said, I mean, I still uh, still feel that you know some of the music that he, uh, a lot of people say that he was consumed by the very things that he propagated, and I do think there's some truth to that. There is, uh, there is the fact that you know he did uh, put out a certain way of life, uh, he did glorify a certain way of life, um, and he was consumed by that way of life in some form like, whether he was part of it outside of his music or not is a whole other discussion mm-hmm. but yeah that's how I left feeling
1: cool um let's come closer Manadilla. home huh. and uh discuss your profile of Amanatullah Khan the Okhla MLA of the Awani party um I think uh, unlike your reportage on Sidhu of course he passed away, so there was no way you could have met him or interviewed him. But you did meet Abanatullah. You sat down with him, and th- he seemed like a very interesting and chatty and yeah. uh, endearing character. Uh, first of all, when I I remember reading that oh you were going to profile him, I thought that's a great idea for a profile. You know, uh, so tell us uh, what was the context? How did you push yourselves to that lead?
0: Mm, So I, Amadmi Party is not my beat as such. So I don't have like a lot of, you know, deep sources within the party and like someone telling me gossip or something. It's not a regular thing that I report on as such. So initially I was a little intimidated because I had to really understand what the party was like, things they've responded to in the past. It's, it's Amadmi Party is mostly something I read about in the paper. I haven't in depth reported on them. Um, So when I was asked to, uh, do the profile and we were discussing it I think um, some of the ideas that Raman sir and Manisha had were also to look at there has been a certain change in strategy in ARP over the last couple of years mm-hmm. uh, they have maintained certain strategic silences they have made certain strategic press conferences which have reflected uh, a certain attitude or a certain outlook towards the Muslim community um, so the curiosity came from a place of how is a Muslim MLA within this party that seems to be shifting towards a certain uh, silence Right. Um, how is a Muslim Emily navigating that space right. especially when that silence is directed towards you know people of his community mm. um, the idea for a profile doesn't come unless you have a certain hypothesis mm. uh, it just doesn't come from I'm curious about this person there is a certain conflict that you're trying to understand mm. and how that person's navigating it uh, so that's the conflict that we went in with and I was very uh, I really enjoyed profiling Amanatullah Khan yeah. I enjoyed I meeting him <laughs> yeah
1: that's a compliment <laughs> I could tell you enjoyed. I,
0: I just I thought he was a very accessible person I thought uh, it's like it I've only done a few profiles now and he, like with Tejas B. Surya he just didn't want to talk mm. which makes it very challenging yeah which also adds to the color of the profile because it still says something about someone uh, but it's also interesting when you're with someone who really wants you to know them you know, they will take that extra effort to always pick up your call, to always answer a question, yeah. uh, to let you accompany them, let you just observe them. So I thought he was um, he was very interesting that way, and his wife and his family they were they were very uh, open to conversation. Right. Uh, so yeah.
1: In your profile, I found this very nice balance that after reading it, I could feel that I had learned something, not just about the personality that Samanatullah, but also about the people, the people who vote for him and the party in which you know he's been for i think since the beginning i think there was mm, some 2014 he, i think the, he had flirted with the samajwadi party or someone close to the samajwadi party at one point yeah but um he got ticket from the Amarni party yeah but his story does not start in 2014 it starts in 2008 you know the battle house um encounter so-called mm. uh i I still remember that day because I remember what I was doing when we heard of it, and mm. I remember what happened. I was in school, and I think the, I lived nearby. Uh, I live in Kalkaji, which mm. is not very far from Jamianagar. Mm. and my bus used to go from that area. So all the buses that went from there were frozen. You know, it's like mm. some big, if something big has happened, and but it was a b- even bigger turning point, you know, for someone like Amanatullah. So just tell tell us about how that impacted and how it took him from merely being an activist to being an elected representative?
0: So um, I think by the time that Butler House encounter had happened, he'd already started, you know, doing a lot of work for the community. He was an activist, basically. And when it was... I got curious about, you know, what he feels about uh, the idea of, you know, uh, be, like a lot of uh, sections of media just so easily call people jihadi, terrorist, Pakistani, whatever. And a, a similar incident had happened with him in the Delhi Assembly, where a BJ, the only BJP MLA had shouted out that he was a terrorist and he shouldn't talk like a terrorist. I mean, not he was a terrorist, that he shouldn't talk like a terrorist. right So you can really see his visceral reaction to it. And you there is a point when... Uh, I was watching that assembly uh, video where, you know, the, all the politicians in assemblies are in character. Mm. They're, they're they're politicians. They're there to like see things and they're there to like ask for things. And there's a moment there where I felt like he slips out of that character and he's just angry. Right. Like He's just mad. Right. And his uh, uh, colleagues have to really hold him back from responding to that. Right. So it was a moment like we brought up when we were talking and uh, and he he said you know that 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 is something that he keeps having to go back to mm-hmm. because it's also where he started his right. entire decision to, you know, be part of politics and really get triggered to be part of politics. So, he recalls Butler House as a time when um, he felt like his community was completely misrepresented in the media. People were being picked up left, right and center after that. Policemen were in plain clothes in that entire area picking up a lot of random boys. Um And that's when he decided that, you know, he wanted to contest elections, he wanted to. And he really holds on to the pride that ever since he's been uh, elected, uh, there hasn't been much of uh, picking up of people. He says there isn't any. I mean, I wasn't able to independently verify if there wasn't anyone who has picked up. But he says that, you know, he's been fruitful in changing that perception of uh, Butler House. So, yeah, that's how I think it really impacted him.
1: One interesting thing about him is how the people try to, you know, rationalize uh, him being in that party because and him as well because there was a point your piece says where he was at the Shaheen Bakh protest but after a point he was completely absent Yeah. and even though uh, people might say that an politicians absence sometimes is a great thing you know from a public platform but uh, some obviously did not like that um, mm. people you spoke to uh, others told you that he played it smart by being an app because even though the App is sort of catering to, not catering to, but even though App is um, conceding to a sort of Hindu majoritarian politics, mm. um, Amanatullah is playing it smart, but that not, might not last too much. Nisa, I think mm. one of his neighbors mm. told you that. Do you think uh, if, if someone says that with this party being like this, Amanatullah can't always play the double game or he can't always be... Uh, in a very simple position, things will get complicated. But do people, are people running out of patience with him? They definitely understand Hmm. why he's doing what he's doing. But would it be fair to say that they're running out of patience, that they can't stand a a certain political hypocrisy?
0: I think the reaction is mixed. Uh, I didn't feel like everyone was, I didn't feel a sense of complete betrayal that people were feeling. Uh, I also didn't feel like people were entirely enamored by him anymore. So uh, from what I understand, in the first term, he came to power because there was uh, a massive, you know, Amadmi Party Lahir, right? That they were going to bring in development, people wanted to change. And Amanatullah was voted in in that sort of uh, wave. And in the second time they came to power was right after Shaheen Bagh, when there was a very clear united hate against uh, the BJP. right? Um, a lot of people say that the third time Amanatullah will come to power will be because of lack of opposition mm. and uh, because people just like him. Right. And I think it was interesting because, yes, there are people, one thing that everyone will tell you, like everyone told me this, the moment I would ask them, what do you think of Amanatullah Khan as a politician, they will all say, he's really become a politician now you know, which I think is such an interesting statement because there there obviously then was a time when he was in politics, when they didn't see him as a politician, but as someone from their community. Right. So they do feel a distance that, you know, he is someone who's having to now uh, play this, you know, balancing act. Uh, but I also think that a lot of people really deeply understand why he has to do that. Right. Um, they see our Madmi Party as... The only other alternative to BJP and BJP is just not an option. Mm-hmm. Uh, so AAP then becomes the party that they have to work with. Uh, and if the uh, if AAP is, you know, they 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 say that they prefer silence over uh, being condemned or like being being you know, said mean things to. Right. So they're able to understand why uh, Amanatullah might have to, you know, maintain strategic silence. But on the other hand, there are people who say that while they're able to understand why Amanatullah Khan is able to, has to balance things, their patience is running out with the party. I see. That there is a fear that, you know, if this is how AAP is going to keep going, then to what extent uh, will they go and how okay will they be with the Muslim community becoming the collateral damage for their expansion project.
2: Yeah.
0: Right? Um, so that is also a very legitimate fear uh, right. that people on ground have.
1: Yeah, because, I mean, the instances you identify in your story, first is when the, during the Shaheen protests where Sisodia and Kejriwal are playing good cop, bad cop. Mm. You know, Manish Sisodia says he supports it, but Kejriwal is like, if the police was under me, I would have had it cleared yeah. in two days. Then during Jahangir Puri uh, demolition, the raghav Chadda and yeah. Atishi Marlena. Both of them said this is because the BJP is, you know, has a soft spot for Rohingya. Um, wink wink Muslims, yeah. basically. Yeah. Uh, and
0: that's a comment actually nobody was able to justify. Right. Like nobody bothered justifying and nobody justified it.
1: Yeah. Because even, even you spoke to people in AAP. Yeah. And some of them were very candid, even though they were anonymous. Yeah. The The one where he explain to you why this has to be done just tell us what yeah. that person told you
0: so uh, this is someone who's been with the party for very long and really understands uh, the psychology be- behind uh, the party's actions so um, they were of the opinion that uh, you know Kejriwal is someone who uh, is in touch with people on ground his MLAs are with people on ground so uh, they said very clearly that uh, I would be surprised if you know, the party didn't understand that the Muslims are feeling this left out. And they also said that uh, it is understandable that the Muslims are feeling this. But they were very clear that the only way to counter a party like BJP is to use their own language to do it. Mm -hmm. Uh, Of course, the line gets blurry as to how far you will go with that um, and what will be the damage that's caused because of it. But there is an understanding within the party many refused to acknowledge it. Many didn't even want to comment on it. Like, for example, Sanjay Singh, I called him almost 24 times. Yeah. And I think at least six times I've explained what the piece is about, what my questions are. Yeah. And they were, he was very uh, clear that he didn't, like he he wanted to speak, but he didn't want to speak. Uh-huh. So, like 24 calls is a lot of calls and <laughs> to have to uh, 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 like explain to them that many times patiently. But he, in the end, he chose not to talk. And he said, you know, I think it's best you speak to Amanatullah itself about this. Okay. Um. So it is very obvious that the party understands. They're, the party also, I think, in some form acknowledges that the Rohingya comment was a bit too far. Right. Uh, at least that's what I sensed from the person I spoke to, Yeah. Uh, that that did take it a little too far. Mm -hmm. Um, That said, they also don't concede to all the accusations of strategic silences. So they will tell you that, uh, they did tell me that, you know, it's not true that uh, Kecheval didn't visit uh, the riot-affected northeast area Mm -hmm. uh, in Delhi when it happened. Uh, He did visit. He went uh, three days after, when at the peak of violence. Mm -hmm. But in the video that, you know, they sent to me... uh, Kejriwal is driving through the area he's speaking to the media but it was it was a very clear optic right right he's not going there he's not speaking to victims and the same thing was said in Jahangir Puri. right um so there is i think there's a very the party is not oblivious to what people are feeling yeah um i don't think amanatullah is either yeah um but they do realize that the community is able to understand why they're doing this and they're holding on to that uh, yeah. trust
1: Yeah,
0: and uh, th- th- the test will be that how far that trust can be stretched it's
1: a tightrope yeah. but Amanatullah seems to be defending you know of course he would yeah. but he when at one point you said for example I think you might have pointed out that after they won the election they were doing this Hanuman yeah. Puja yeah. the yeah. GK, MLA mm-hmm. and he said when I can read namaz five times a day why can't they do and he he, his uh, refutation of what you were intending mm. and even though your case is strong was also in a way very strong you know he was not giving any yeah, inch yeah. he was saying no which to wrong. be
0: fair actually when I went in to do the piece I thought this might be something that really bothers mm. people this very uh obvious explicit uh, show of uh, this Hindu identity that Kejriwal was starting to do, which he wasn't doing before and felt compelled to, you know, make these temple visits and sing on like screen uh, in a very bad uh, tone. But uh, but, uh, I was very surprised to know that it didn't it didn't seem to bother people in the way that i thought I they were more bothered by the things he was not saying right uh, so this this response of amanatullah khan that why can't i uh, b- why can't he do uh, the hanuman chalisa when i uh, practice my religion no. was to- told to me by pe- uh, people on ground as well that not in the same way but they said you know okay but that's his religion and mm. i think there's also this pressure to seem like you know they also have to show that they're patient and they're tolerate, they tolerate you know they tolerate uh, right. uh, spaces so there was also like you know we respect uh, right. Kejriwal's religion and we are okay with whatever he's doing but he should have spoken up for us during this this, this time Right. so I think Amanatullah Khan's response was fairly justified and mm-hmm. it made sense Um, and I agree with him like yeah. you know
2: right.
0: why not
1: yeah. yeah. And, uh, you know, I was asked to write a newsletter on your story. Huh. Um, and I wrote that even though it's so on social media, things are always so shrill. Yeah. And, you know, you are either pro or you're against. But when a reporter... Steps on the ground, you always find these subtle subtleties, these ambiguities, mm. uh, and uh, the, the real world is more interesting. You know, the way you describe how people are okay with certain things, which yeah. if you say, if you quote them yeah. without telling someone's name to someone online, you know, someone who's very uh, vocal, they'd call you all sorts of things, yeah. but. On the ground, the world is different. But please, uh, listeners, please read Nidhi's story, her profile of uh, Amanatullah Khan.
0: Can I add something really tiny that I thought was, uh, that I found absolutely fascinating about Amanatullah Khan? I actually am not sure if it made it to the piece, but uh, he uh, loves embroidery. Oh. Which I thought was so uh, interesting. Like apparently he loves to uh, sit and design embroidery and then do it himself. <laughs> um, and I, I actually also really enjoyed talking to his wife about, um, you know, the repercussions of living in a family where one person's a politician. Right. Um, and his wife was very very candid about the toll it took on the family. So yeah, I think I think he was overall a very. I I found the fact that this this man who's a loud politician the image of him sitting and doing embroidery was just the takeaway for me from the piece
1: i think you uh, you should take your reporting curiosity to your logical conclusion you've written on this uh, Muslim politician in a soft Hindu party. Now you should write about Mukhtar uh, Abbas Naqvi, you know, <laughs> the uh, Muslim face of the BJP and how he does it because it seemed reading your profile that Amanatullah well, you know, as I said, it's a tightrope. Uh, yeah. but for people like uh, you know nakvi who are in the bjp which is you know yeah. the it's become the hindu party of our time how he manages that so that's an idea for nidhi yeah. but for now so please do read uh, nidhi's profile and uh, to make sure that she continues going on the ground and doing these uh, and does these reports on uh, politicians and rappers and brings out very quirky, interesting perspectives on uh, people whom sometimes we just know monochromatically. Uh, subscribe to News Zonri. Uh, go to the website, com, Click on the red subscribe button on the top right hand corner and pay to keep news free. Nidhi, would you like to recommend something?
0: Yeah, so I uh, wanted to recommend two things. One was uh, an editorial that uh, Pratap Bhanu Mehta has written in the Express. It's called uh, Nupur Sharma Hate Speech Row, Beware of Half Victories, where he talks about uh, this danger of just celebrating the fact that BJP has, you know, suspended these two people. Right. Uh, but what that, the timing of the suspension, why they were suspended, and how we should be careful and cautious of these half victories. Right. Um, And the other piece, which I was completely blown over by, was uh, a New Yorker piece by Jessica Winter. It's called uh, the Johnny Depp Amber Heard trial is not as complicated as you may think. Have you been following the trial?
1: I haven't at all, unconsciously yeah I haven't yeah
0: wow I've just been obsessed with it Uh, I just
1: it shows up so often on that uh, you know the short section of YouTube yeah and I I just you can go and you can uh, click on don't recommend this channel which I always do I just keep away from it
0: yeah which is actually what the New Yorker article talks about that how the whole trial is actually an extremely simple trial right uh but it's become uh, a meme of sort, and and you know how our algorithms have gotten affected by the fact that it there's so much collective hatred towards Amber Heard and what that might mean. It's a really it's a really nice profile which also looks at um, how the entire case actually rests on just twelve words that Amber Heard wrote in her op-ed in Washington, uh, Washington Post, Post. Right. and this entire case just merely rests on that. Right. Uh, so I thought it was fascinating. I mean, I'm, I'm Completely fascinated by the entire case and, and yeah. you know, more than the case itself, like what it's come to represent and the yeah. reactions it's evoked in people.
1: Yeah, I think as a reporter and as a human being, I'm just these days repelled by subjects where people have very strong opinions. Yeah. I think it's like the lack of energy you feel in your latter half of your twenties. Yeah, yeah, I totally <laughs> <But> relate. <really> that, <laughs> that, that, <laughs> I have consciously avoided this style, but I'll read your piece. I mean, it sounds like a great uh, way to approach this thing. I want to understand how simple it is. Yeah. Uh, my recommendation is since we talked about Apaanatulda and uh, how Bartla House figures in his political career, there's this very good book by a uh, journalist. Nias Faruqi, who, uh, called An Ordinary Man's Guide to Radicalism. Uh, and the subtitle is Growing Up Muslim in India. He wrote that book because he was a young man studying in Jamia, living in Bartla House. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, th- that event happened and it changed his life. And he r- looks back at it 10 years later. Uh, it's beautifully written, published by Westland, which is no longer Uh, a functioning publisher but if anyone can get a hold of that copy please do so Uh, what's
0: happened all these books can no longer be bought I think
1: some of them are available uh, but limited copies but of course these the authors will go to different publisher and they'll Mm. be published once again
0: listeners if you're listening to this on Apple Spotify or Stitcher you can also listen to it on our swanky new podcast player on our website at newslaundry.com
1: and with that